This episode is brought to you by Daniela Falecki's Teacher Wellbeing Cards. These 52 cards give you simple daily reminders to help better support your well-being. You can use them in staff meetings to build positive conversations or have them in your desk as little pieces of advice to help you get through the day. Find these cards and Daniela's other resources at teacher-wellbeing.com.au. This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, a weekly show to help you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Today, I have a wonderful conversation with Claire Crew a mother, teacher, speaker, writer, and the host of the Thriving Children podcast, which you can find in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to this podcast, actually. But before we get to the interview, I thought I'd start with the review of the week. So this week's review comes from Naomi Arnold, and she says, Yay, a podcast for teachers. Ellen is such a gift for teachers and all those who want to help others. She offers so much support and wisdom to her audience, and I am beyond words excited that this will now be offered via her fabulous podcast too. Thank you, Ellen, for the work that you do and the lives that you impact in the process. And thank you for that lovely review, Naomi. For those of you listening, uh, I would love to get some more reviews because at this stage, I only have enough to read out to make it to the end of this season. So if you haven't yet, please do head to your podcast app and leave an honest rating and review for the show. It truly does help. And it's also great to get your feedback so that I can continue to deliver podcasts that serve and support you going forwards. So if that's been on your to-do list, maybe pause the podcast right now and leave the review that you've been thinking about leaving me every time you listen. And I thank you in advance. Speaking of listening to podcasts, if you like listening to podcasts, then I think it's a really safe bet that just like me, you will be a fan of audiobooks. And I think you probably know by now that my opinion on the best place to get audiobooks is Audible. And for you listening to this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So you can download your first audiobook for free by trying Audible today, and you just do that by going to audibletrial.com forward slash teacherwellbeing. And I personally recommend Audible because I've been a member for like a decade now. Um, and for some reason, I hadn't been using their app since I made the switch to iPhones four or five years ago. Um, I'd just been downloading the book and adding it to my iTunes library and then it would end up on my phone so then I could listen when I was on the on the go. But I have just gotten back into the app and my goodness, it has come a really long way since I last used it, which admittedly was like five years ago. And I'm now really cross at myself for not using the app in all that time because I have listened to so many hours of audiobooks and um, the app has these cool little badges that you can get for different like numbers of hours or finishing a certain number of books and that sort of thing. And I want recognition for all the listening that I've done in the last five years, you know, teacher's pet looking for the gold star. But anyway, it's really fun and I really am enjoying the app. So highly recommend that as well if you haven't got the app. Um, and so I also have a book recommendation for you this week, which is one that I just finished on Sunday. And I did get a batch on the app for finishing it. Um, and that book is Deep Work by Cal Newport. It is an amazing book. 
it's really reinforced some of the things that I already figured out, you know, by trial and error in my own life. I like really strong social media and email boundaries, um, which I talk about in season three. If you wanted to go back and hear about my digital boundaries, um, it was nice to hear that kind of confirmed as a good idea and good for not only uh, productivity, but well-being in um, Cal's book. So highly uh, recommend it. And um, as well as that sort of confirmation of those boundaries, it the book also gave me a really some big ahas in other ways. And it's kind of actually crystallized a couple of things for me about where I want to take self-care for teachers in 2019 and what I will include in a new program that I'm putting together for teachers next year. So yeah, watch this space. Um, but in the meantime, <laughs> go to audibletrial.com slash teacherwellbeing and download Deep Work by Cal Newport. Um, and you can get it for free when you sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible. And of course, you could get any one of their hundreds of thousands of other titles as well. Um, but that's my book recommendation for the week. And again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash teacherwellbeing for your free audiobook. Okay, let's get to today's interview with Claire Crew from Thriving Children. Claire is an early childhood educator who decided to complete a master's degree of special education in order to better meet the needs of the students in her care. She says it was helpful, but it wasn't until she became a mum herself that she really became aware of a critical component of child development, which is the brain-body connection. And it's the missing link for so many kids, and that's also now the message that Claire shares about what children really need to thrive through her blog and podcast and speaking workshops, which you can find at thrivingchildren.com.au. In this episode, Claire shares with us some of the ups and downs on her journey of parenting and integrating that with her role as an educator, um, being you know, still a great teacher while having some energy left at the end of the day for her own children. And Claire also talks about how she experienced postnatal depression in her shift into motherhood. And I really wanted to have her on the show to share that story because, of course, teaching is still a predominantly female workforce and uh, becoming a parent is one of the biggest identity shifts that, you know, most people will make in their life. Uh, and I think that a lot of people still think that teaching is a really family-friendly profession, but that isn't always the case. Uh, so obviously every mother's story, every parent's story will be different. Um, everybody's shift into parenthood will be different. It's not a shift that I've made in my life at this stage, but um, that was why I really wanted Claire to come on and share her story. And there's obviously no one size fits all. And as you probably know by now, I think it's really important to talk about mental health challenges and also to share a range of different career options for teachers, uh, you know, through all different stages of life and stages of their career journey. And so I really appreciate Claire coming on and sharing her story with that. Um, and she talks in this episode about some of the different choices she's made in her teaching career since becoming a parent um, and how that's still evolving. It's it's not set in stone. It's something that's continually you know, refocusing on and, and shifting and refining as as life continues to evolve. Um, I also really particularly love her point about superheroes being fictional characters and that we should not be comparing ourselves to them. Uh, so without further ado, I hope that you enjoy this interview with Claire Crew from Thriving Children. Hi, Claire. Thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you today? Hi, Ellen. I'm very well. Thank you. Uh, let's dive straight in. I'd love to hear and for you to share with the listeners a bit about your background and uh, your teaching history as well as uh, what you're doing now and the various hats that you wear. So I'm an early childhood and inclusive education teacher. 
Uh, so I've, I guess that means I specialise in children from birth to age eight. So I've worked in childcare, what we call kindergartens here in South Australia, which is called preschools in a lot of other states, uh, and also junior primary classroom settings. Uh, the inclusive education bit came about because I've completed a Master of Special Ed along the way, and I have done some um, specific special ed teaching with early years children as well. Uh, and so now I kind of wear a couple of different hats. Uh, I've got a business called Thriving Children uh, where I've got a blog and a podcast and I run workshops mostly for teachers, uh, sort of really trying to help them connect the dots, particularly in regards to children's behaviour and development and the role that movement and sensory experiences play in helping to build a nice healthy brain. Uh, and then um, this year, I hadn't been teaching for a couple of years actually, um, but this year I'm back teaching again uh, with the education department and it's in a program which actually even a lot of teachers here in South Australia haven't heard of <laughs> um, called Learning Together. So there's eight different Learning Together kind of hubs spread across um, the state in areas uh, where there are lots of vulnerable families. And so my role essentially is running supportive playgroup for um, young children and their parents. Great. And so you've got, uh, as well as those uh, couple of different hats, you also have a family and that's kind of going to be the, the focus, I think, of our chat today because, you know, as you know, I don't have any children, so um, not something that I can share about from a personal standpoint, but I know lots and lots of women, um, you know, once they have their teaching career and then they go and have their babies, one or more, and then integrating family with with, you know, the work of teaching, let alone the work of also having a blog and a podcast and a business as well, um, is a bit of a juggle and can sometimes be a bit of a struggle. Um, and I'd love for you to share your experience with that. And, and, um, and I know there's been some ups and downs on that journey for you as well. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my children, uh, there are three of them. So I've got a six-year-old daughter, a nine-year-old son and a ten-and-a-half-year-old daughter. So there's three of them all at that school age now, which in some ways makes it easier and in some ways makes it harder. Um, it, it is actually a really hard profession once you become a parent because I think everyone will relate, and, and like you as well, Ellen, if you're an educator and you don't have children of your own in your life, you just know that you give those kids who you teach your absolute all and your role in general. And then when you have your own children, you don't want to compromise on that. You know, you know the teacher that you are and you want to continue to give your all to the students that you spend your days with. But at the same time, you still need to be part human for when you get home. Totally. Yeah, love and energy with your own children as well. Uh, especially when by that part of the day, particularly when the children were young, that switching hour, <laughs> yeah. you know, everyone's tired and everyone's hungry and you've kind of got such a condensed period of time to really feel like you're connecting with your own children too. It's not like, you know, pre-children, if you've had a particularly challenging or tiring day at work, you can really just veg on the couch when you come home and you might have brought your little wheelie basket of stuff to do, but at the end of the day, if it gets pushed back another 24 hours, that's okay. Whereas when you've got children you're coming home to, they're on, you know, you're there and they want you to be the present parent that you usually are. Um, and it, it's a big uh, logistical shift and a big mindset shift as well. Yeah, and um, 
as you say, they're on. Din- their dinner can't wait till tomorrow. <laughs> can't get pushed exactly. back 24 hours. Exactly. And they don't, you know, I particularly found, um, you know, when I was in special ed, sometimes you'd be a bit touched out by the end of the day. But, you know, you're going home to a toddler and, you know, they want that physical, you know, affection from you as well. So it's really quite challenging. Uh, and certainly, you know, my shift into motherhood, um, in the early days was quite interesting too, just in that um, so much of my identity was me as a teacher, me as an educator. And my plans had always been that, you know, we would set ourselves up financially, you know, in a modest way so that I could be at home with my children until they were at school starting age. That was always something that was really important and meaningful to me pre-children and then it took two years to actually fall pregnant with my first child. And, and then she came along. And I think the wait, in a way, um, that time that had passed, kind of waiting for her to come into our life, meant I was just so wrapped up in her for those first few months. But at the same time, she wasn't a baby that was like I thought she would be. You know, she had so many issues with feeding and sleeping and I'd cared for babies before in childcare, but it was nothing like the intensity that comes with, you know, going through the motions with your own child, with the sleep deprivation and things like that that you don't have when you're caring for babies professionally. Yeah. Uh, and I really... Not to mention the physical changes. Yeah, on yeah, and hormones and all that kind of stuff. So um, my mental health wasn't good for a while because I felt like I knew who I was as an educator and I could see the results of that, that I was good at my job. And then when you have a baby that isn't doing things the the way you think a baby should do them, uh, it's really hard to feel confident in that role. Um, And so I kind of, I I got through okay after I'd had her. I think um, I was just so... um, so overwhelmed by my love for her and this new role of motherhood that had finally come my way but certainly by the time I had my second child quite soon afterwards uh, I sort of spiraled with um, postnatal depression and you know it definitely wasn't extreme in the way that some people experience it but I really felt like I lost the essence of who I was. Mm. And thank you for sharing that because I think it's important that we talk about these things particularly you know, for me, not being, um, not having any children yet, it's certainly something that I'm aware of. And I'm grateful that the ones that have gone before me are talking about this now, because I think, you know, a generation or so ago, it you know wasn't necessarily something that was discussed. And also, I think it's really important, as you say, that, you know, you mentioned that having, like teaching isn't actually always the family friendly career that we think it's going no. to be, that, that there kind of is this perception in the world. Uh, and the other point I wanted to make was or reflect back was that you said your, you felt that your identity was very wrapped up in being an educator uh, before you had kids and then there was a whole identity shift for you as well. So there's a lot going on there really and um, I really... I really appreciate you sharing that because it's such an important topic and I think it's particularly because education is predominantly women. You know, yes, there are males and, yes, paternity leave. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know, yes, we want working dads to be um, more able to have more flexibility in things too, but still, by and large, it is women taking time off for maternity leave and 
And these are some of the things that can happen, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's definitely a whole lot easier to talk about this now because mm. I've come out the other side. And, yeah. You know, I knew I was at risk with my third child, but had things in place so that I didn't experience the same thing in regards to my mental health. It was still definitely challenging adding a third into the mix and going through the year of sleep separation and everything all over again. But um, I had more supports in place and I guess I had more people looking out for me because uh, I am someone, I think like a lot of teachers who uh, will put on a front if given the opportunity. Or certainly in the past I was that person. So it might have looked like things were all good, but they actually weren't. Um, but it, you're right, teaching is sort of, almost sold as a really family-friendly profession and school holidays absolutely are you know I think it must be such a challenge to be in a workplace and have to try and organize time off and leave even for a week and especially if you're in a workplace where everyone's trying to do that at the same time uh, and potentially being told no but the rest of it, it it's hard you know if you have your own teaching position uh, if you're if you're part-time and you work on different days of the week, this may not be an issue. But if you are teaching children and it's maybe the first day of the school year and your child happens to be going into their very first day, their very first year of school, you miss those moments. Yeah. Uh, and you're not there from nine till three. You know, you can't take your children to school or pick them up from school. You know, it's a much longer day and it's something that you tend to just not really switch off from uh, in the way that you do from other roles. Mm. And so what was your experience like? You said you, you uh, can be someone that, that tends to put on that mask and kind of pretend like everything's okay even when it's maybe not. And I agree with you. I think that is something that often teachers are quite good at, particularly because if you are standing in front of a classroom of children and maybe maybe your personal life is falling apart but you know you can't you can't be in tears about whatever's going on at home in in the classroom you've got it you've got to show up and I think there is uh that skill that many of us have learned but what was it like for you in the recovery from from those mental health challenges and and also just I guess as you said the shift into motherhood and the kind of the new normal what did you do uh, in terms of support and what, what worked for you in those, um, in those times? I guess the, the teacher side of me, you know, my role was quite different then. I guess like it is now, you know, I'm not in a conventional teaching position. Um, when I was yearning for work with my first baby, I um, found a position teaching at Jindaroo, which is um, a sensory perception motor program for children from birth to five. And um, it involved teaching on a Monday morning and a Saturday morning. So it was fairly minimal as far as at-home commitment and as far as, you know, only needing my child in childcare for the half day. And then on Saturday, she spent time uh, with my partner. And that was a role that I officially left when I had my second child. So someone else came in to take the role uh, who I'd kind of gotten to know in that transition process. And then once my son, oh, he was probably similar age, I'd say sort of six to 10 months, she decided she wasn't really wanting to teach the Saturdays anymore. So then I was teaching um, on Saturdays. And so I guess all of the things that helped me were really kind of outside of that teaching role. It was perfect to be in a teaching role uh, that wasn't sort of sapping energy out of me that I didn't have. 
Um, but certainly as far as how I moved on, I so long ago, I did psychologist. I sort of saw a psychologist through a mental health care plan. Um, I, I think a large part of it was just rediscovering who I was. Like I know when my husband can see that I was feeling overwhelmed, he'd sort of say, okay, like go take an hour, go and do something that will feel good. And I kind of lost all sense of who I was. I didn't even know how to spend time like that anymore. So I know I took up sewing, which I'm rubbish at and I haven't done much of even now, but I felt like it was so good to, you know, through parenting, a whole day goes by and you've done lots of stuff, but you can't see anything for your effort. Whereas to do something crafty where I was actually seeing this concrete thing in front of me taking shape, that was really, really helpful. Uh, lots of walking. Um, and to be honest, just the passing of time. A big part of it for me is that all of my babies had silent reflux, so they did not sleep well at all. My oh, poor things. And there was lots of screening during the daytime. And yeah. um, it's really hard, particularly when I had a 17-month-old at the time as well who was so used to, you know, lots of love and time and attention. I sort of felt like, oh, here we go again with the crying and, you know, of my son, it just felt really overwhelming and um, and then sort of feeling like, okay, we've probably watched a bit too much Wiggles on the TV today, like what kind of damage am I doing to my older child? A, a big part of it was just that I used to be such a perfectionist and to be honest, once he got more comfortable in the world, you know, once he was eating solids and wasn't in that discomfort, once he was gaining weight, once I was actually getting sleep through the night, which happened when he was 11 months old, uh, that's when things really changed. Yeah. So there's just a period of time there where, you know, the circumstances were just difficult anyway. Uh, and once once those had resolved in, in a certain way, things, particularly the sleep, I mean, I think lack of sleep just makes everything else harder to cope with, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And that's what my doctor said at the time. He's like, you know, Yes, you're ticking the boxes for postnatal depression. It could just be severe sleep deprivation, but yeah. you know, let's go through the motions mm. um, to help. Better to be safe than sorry. Yeah, and I know that my experience of postnatal depression was quite different to some people's. I was, I could do the bird's eye view and just be thrilled with my life, like just really content. And yet, it was in the day to day that I felt completely overwhelmed, and I just didn't really have that spark that I used to have. Mm. And, you know, I think it's important to note that there's no one size fits all uh, and every everybody's experience will be different. And, and uh, you know, I have some friends that have recently had babies who are having quite a quite a good time. Um, if things are going quite smoothly, but which is wonderful. Uh, it's wonderful for them and wonderful to hear, you know, that positive stories, too. But of course, it's just it's it's not a guarantee and there's no one size fits all. And and life just happens. Right. Yeah. And you, you grow from all of it. Oh, exactly right. So let's shift forward a bit to now. And, you, and I know that you wear several hats at once. And let's talk about how you uh, look after your well-being in the midst of that. I mean, you, you're parenting, you're teaching, you have your um, sort of speaking workshops, um, business with Thriving Children, the, the podcast and the blog as well. So what do you do to look after yourself in the midst of all of that? How does that, um, how does self-care happen? And, and how do you how do you keep up with it all, I suppose? And and I don't mean that in a 
how do you be superwoman way? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I mean it more in, you know, how do you make sure that you stay on the agenda amidst all of that? Yeah, it's so funny because I used to, in my early days as a parent, I used to take that as a real compliment to be called super mum or superwoman. And like, I just detest it now because I, I feel like if someone thinks that of me, clearly I'm not being open enough about the real story. And yeah, I do, I do have an awesome life and I don't want it to sound like I'm, you know, saying, you know, things are awful over here, but no, totally. No one, no one should be superheroes are fictional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're exactly. not in real life. So there's a few things that I do, Ellen. I guess a big part of it is that I'm really selective in regards to what I say yes to, in, in particular in regards to that formal teaching role. Uh, there were a couple of teaching positions. Uh, I've had a few since I've had the children, um, you know, after Jimbaroo and, you know, one was amazing and two not so much and for different reasons I actually left those contracts early. Kind of not the dumb thing, but I think when you can see uh, when when you know that you're not feeling safe in a workplace or that it's not your cup of tea and you're bringing that stress home, it's just really not worth it. Um, and that that comes into the actual workplace and also the fraction of time. You know, I work at the moment one and a half days a week officially, um, and because of the fairly specialised nature of what I'm doing, the playgroups are in the morning and the admin is in the afternoon. So I've negotiated with our manager that I work two days within school hours. So my husband drops the kids off on those mornings and I'm actually there ready for school pickup. Um, and that really works for me. If I was in a teaching position where I couldn't do school pickup, two days would kind of be my maximum. I kind of feel like I still want to be present more than I'm not. And, and again, that recipe is different for everyone, but I found the positions that worked well for me were two days a week. The ones that didn't were when it was, you know, three or it was advertisers two and a half and I kind of went oh yeah that might be okay and then it became three so part of that is just being selective in regards to the official teaching role but also you know what I take on in regards to the business work as well uh, and I do think that that needs a bit of readjusting at the moment I think that's going to look quite different next year um, than it does this year you know that being a contract teacher means that there's been some things I've been reluctant to let go of because you don't know if you might need to fire that up again next year. But I, I do think that there'll be some tweaks coming um, because I feel at the moment like all the self-care I'm doing as my core things are there, but it's some of the lovely extras that I like to sprinkle on the top that aren't. So for me, self-care and well-being, it's all about, I guess, about knowing myself because that's something I lost when I had postnatal depression. Um, but it's about having time to move my body, which I do each morning uh, with a walk and very much a shift lately to not listen to a podcast as much as I love them when I do that morning walk. I just need to listen to the birds or listen to some music so that I have time just to get in tune with myself there. Um, time to think deeply, which often means time in solitude, which is a big thing for me. That's how I recharge. And that's something that there often isn't time for on those teaching and parenting days. Um, definitely making sure that I have time to see friends and have good conversations and, and time to laugh. And, and those, to be honest, that's the thing that I tend to lose in those periods of business. Mm -hmm. I just tend to 
um, you know, the social things can wait. And I guess probably because I also have quite a few friends who are wired the way I am. So, you know, we do sometimes fall in that trap of only seeing each other in school holidays, which I sometimes determinedly decide I'm going to break the patterning and then we seem to just fall in that rhythm again. Um, and it's also about sleeping lots. That's just really important to me. So it's it's all fairly basic, but um, there's things that I don't question. I just do them every day. But then there's other things. Like if I can just have more of that white space within a week, I feel a hundred times better. And that's what I think I'm lacking at the moment. I hear that. And I really like that you also talk about those intentional decisions and, and even about, you know, leaving contracts early when it's obvious for whatever reason it's just not working and I know for myself obviously completely different situation but I know for myself when I've made decisions along those lines it's always um, often been because I know how bad things can get for my health and I and I won't go there again you know I'd rather the difficult conversations and maybe the income hit or whatever it is in in the short term than soldiering on and ending up really unwell again and I and I wonder if that experience those experiences that you had in early motherhood have perhaps helped with some of those decisions because you kind of got a bit of a a benchmark in a in a different way I think so and I think motherhood in general to be honest like I know um the teacher Claire before I was a mum I wouldn't have left a contract before seeing it through to the end um, you know, there was one situation where I was able to sign a contract for another term at a place and I didn't and I moved on, but I didn't really count that because I wasn't, you know, I still saw out the current contract that I was in and it was, you know, motherhood and knowing that I just can't cope with stress in the way that I used to. You know, I need to, as I said at the start of the conversation, I need to still have some kind of energy and and love and patience when I go home from a day of work. And so that perspective and that value that I place on my own children as well as the children I'm teaching has meant, do you know what? You've just kind of got to, you've just got to stop here. It's going to get a not very good place and it still weighed on me a lot because you worry about letting people down and you know will this limit further opportunities Um, but at the end of the day it's not just about you in this world anymore so you do actually need to sometimes put your children first through those decisions yeah yeah I really appreciate you sharing that because I think those are often decisions women have to make and they're not always public. You know, it might be that you share them with your, your close friends, but particularly if, you, if you're if you not somebody that has any friends with children who are making those kinds of decisions, you might not be aware that that is something that happens and that obviously everybody's decision will be different in each situation. Um, but I really appreciate you, you know, sharing that because it can be vulnerable. So thank you. Yeah, no, you're welcome. And I, I think, to be honest, I still don't think it's very done very often. I think there's very much that whole kind of suck it up attitude or, you know, what's wrong with me? Why, I, why aren't I coping so well? And there's this persistence to just get through. Um, and sometimes that's okay, but um, I could see that it was impacting my own children and I didn't want that. Yeah, and, and I think you're right there about that idea that you know the the stories we tell ourselves that I'm not coping and therefore there's something wrong with me when actually this is a new situation this is a new normal maybe the situation is one that you would have been able to cope with differently before children but now you know for various reasons we we life is different and 
and our capacity is different. And I think we have to be really careful about beating ourselves up about that when when we want to make those kinds of decisions. And also I think we have to be really careful about judging the decisions or the, the feelings that we're feeling, you know, if we are feeling that we're not coping compared to the the teacher next to us who maybe also has the same number of children as us or whatever, but for whatever reason, things are going differently or maybe they're putting on a mask too. We just, we don't always know. And I think we have to be very kind to ourselves all the time, but particularly in those moments. I think it comes down to a few things. So partly, you know, our own children's needs are going to sort of weigh in with this as well. You know, I know that you're aware, Ellen, that my youngest child has a condition called selective mutism. And so, you know, she's come a long way this year. But essentially what it means is that until quite recently, she hasn't been able to speak uh, outside of the home to people in childcare or kindy or school. Uh, and so I, because of that, I'm really reluctant to use something like after school care, which will just give her another couple of hours at the end of the long day where she's not actually able to communicate with anyone. But but also another thing that I want to highlight is how important it is to listen to that initial gut feeling that you have about positions because if I had really done that myself, I wouldn't have said yes to either of these positions. The warning signs were there and for whatever reason I talked myself into them because they seemed like good opportunities. Um, it can be hard to find part-time work if you're a contract teacher and you've you know, had some time off with young children. Um, but as I said, if I'd listened to that gut feeling, uh, I wouldn't have had to leave those contracts earlier because I wouldn't have actually been in them in the first place. Yeah, that's a really good point. Our gut feeling, if so many of us talk ourselves out of <laughs> out of listening to it. Um, yeah. but, but it is powerful when we can tune into it. Yeah. Well, this has been wonderful, Claire. Um, I'd love it if you could share some of your top tips for, you know, or just any advice that you might have for other teachers who might find themselves in, in um, similar situations, um, perhaps, be, you know, before children, something to, to be aware of for thinking about for after or for, for mums going back to work into teaching. Is there anything you wish you had known that you'd love to share? Yeah, I think uh, for all teachers definitely, um, and I wish I'd done this sooner, have a clear sense of identity if you are outside of your teaching role. Because for anyone, even people who aren't teachers, to really know who you are before you become a parent, it's just going to be a guiding light in the decisions that you make thereafter. And I think you're going to be a lot less vulnerable to the mental health issues that I had and that so many other uh, educators do go on to have. And I think as well, give yourself permission for you to be a different teacher after children than you were before them. You know, in a way, you feel less emotionally invested. In another way, you're not because now all of a sudden you really get the parent journey. You have a lot more empathy for those kind of uh, decisions that parents might have to make or how it feels for them when they're, you know, saying goodbye to their child on the first day of school once you are a parent, particularly once you've been through that yourself. So in a way, I think we can be so hard on ourselves that we're not giving those students at all in the way that we used to. But I still think we are. It just looks and feels a little bit different. And also, particularly if we're going back part-time, that is going to be a very different role as well because it takes longer to build those bonds yep. with everyone when you're not there as often, with the staff team as well. Absolutely. And sometimes you can't necessarily do things the way you would have in the past because now you're sharing a group of students. 
with another educator. Yeah, and that's been my experience of part-time and job sharing as well, um, was that, I mean, in many ways it was wonderful, but it comes with its own set of challenges that that are different to when you are the full-time teacher. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think in an ideal world, you know, and particularly if you're a permanent teacher, there's more scope for this, but to actually share a class with someone that you know quite well and your philosophies gel uh, you know, and you can share the workload equally in an ideal world. That's how it needs to look, I think, to really... To work um, well. Yeah, yeah, to work well for you, for your colleague and also for the families that you're working with. Mm, definitely. Well, we're not always in an ideal world. <laughs> no, we're often not. We're often not. But, you know, know what you're striving for and it exactly. might take to find it. But hopefully once you have found it, you really love and appreciate it. Mm, yeah, I really like that. Um, well, my last question is where can people connect with you? Uh, because you have a wonderful podcast. I really highly recommend it because I really enjoy listening to it. And uh, I would love for you to share where people can find you. My website is thrivingchildren.com.au and the podcast is called The Thriving Children Podcast. So you can find that in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to this podcast. <laughs> yes. And uh, I'll pop a link in the show notes as well so that you can just click away and find Claire and listen to the podcast because it's great. <laughs> yes, really. Very different subject matter to this one. Totally but, different, you know, but, yeah. but um, I have really enjoyed it. It's been, it's actually been the thing for me that's helped me. Um, I, I don't know. I remember being at uni and reading, you know, the theories behind things and, and um, behavior science and educational psychology and stuff like that. And I remember like really enjoying those subjects at uni and then when, you know, you get into the thick of teaching and it's just, it's just a day to day. So your podcast has actually helped me reconnect with really enjoying some of those concepts and oh, conversations. So thank you, Claire. I really enjoy it. You're welcome. And it's lovely to connect with you again, Ellen. And actually I should say there is an episode of the Thriving Children podcast that you've also been on. I have, yes. It was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Claire. And uh, I know that your story will um, will really impact people and, and I hope that it can help give some you know, permission, just the permission, as you said, to give yourself the permission, but I hope that it will give other people permission um, to really look after themselves in that journey of, of transition from, you know, independent single person to family person mother and teacher and all the rest yeah it's a big journey but it is an incredibly fun and rewarding one as well that's a beautiful place to wrap up thanks claire thanks ellen thanks for listening to the teacher well-being podcast if you've enjoyed it go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode i'd love it also if you would leave a rating and review in itunes and share it with your friends this really helps the podcast reach more people and together we can spread the message of teacher wellbeing to create thriving school communities. Show notes for this episode can be found at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. You can also find me at facebook.com forward slash selfcareforteachers and on Instagram my handle is at selfcareforteachers. So come along and follow me there. 